Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. William Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet that the play's the thing. That certainly is the case with the Slaying Slaying Dragons theater troupe here in St. Louis. Its thing is to perform productions with a purpose specifically to help audiences better understand mental health issues. Its motto is giving mental health a stage. Joining me to talk about what this means and how it works are Helene Mayer, a performer and Slaying Dragons artistic director. Diane Morris is a Slaying Dragons actor. Colin Lewis, Collins Lewis, I should say, is a Slaying Dragons board member and associate professor emeritus of psychiatry at Washington University. Thank you all so much for coming in. Great to see you. Helene, let me start with you. Um, Tell me about the name Slaying Dragons. (laughs) How does that fit all of this? Well, um, it it basically began the fact that I've suffered myself. I've done uh, depression and anxiety, and um, I wanted an image of something that was old, but at the same time still alive. And uh, the dragon was kind of like people are used to seeing that, and they're used to seeing swords and slaying that. So the stigma against mental illness is something that has existed in the past, and it is somewhat improved, but it's not gone. Mm -hmm. And so our mission is to try to destroy it finally for good. Collins, how does it work from the stage? Oh, it works very well, I think. I think from the stage, you are able to transmit emotional meaning uh, to uh, mental illness. It's not just a lecture where you hear about the signs and symptoms. So people really feel an emotion from the actor. So I think it's excellent. Diane, as an actor, uh, how does it work for you in trying to transmit what you're trying to transmit from the stage? Oh, you know, First of all, I like to say that it helped me with my self-esteem. So when I'm on stage and I can look out to the audience and see their response, and it just gives you this feeling of power. And so being a part of Slaying Dragons, it actually saved my life. Because prior to Slaying Dragons, I had tried to commit suicide. And um, with them, I feel like there's a family, and the people there, they, they understand me. Nobody judges me. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all on the same level. Who is the audience for, for these plays? Oh, it, it varies. Uh, we've done uh, students from the nursing school. We've done an audience for uh, the psychiatrist um, meetings in the, uh, in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. We've done just people from the public. Helene, let me talk about the uh, the history of this organization. How and why did it get started? Well, as I said earlier, um, I wrote a book called um, I've Not Picked Up My Dinosaurs Yet Today. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, it's, it's autobiographical in nature, but it's basically a series of dramatic mm-hmm. readings. Um, out of that then came... Um, an actual play I wrote called Voices of Depression. And as more and more people became involved, they said, you know, you really need to start an organization so that you can get the word out there more than than you are right now. So that's kind of how Slaying Dragons started. It started in 2011. And, um, and that's why we've been on this mission, you know, to reach as many people as we possibly can. As Diane says, many different audiences, churches, wherever, uh, we've been at the Missouri History Museum four times. We've performed there. So we, our audiences are just about everywhere, but there's still a lot of people who need us. What kind of feedback have you gotten over the years that you've been in operation? Uh, we've got wonderful feedback. I was just telling um, them about um, 
someone who was in the audience not too long ago at a play that we did and actually followed us out onto the parking lot, hugged us, and said, thank you for telling our story. Mm-hmm. Collins, you've had discussions with people following these performances, as I understand it, and Will, yes. for, your, for your next production. How do they go? What kinds of issues come up? Well, they ask uh, questions about depression or they ask questions about you know the types of illnesses that we portray. Um, and like Colleen mentioned, we have a number of different plays. We have one on um, Alzheimer's disease where a woman has to decide whether to put her mother in a nursing home and things that she goes through. We've had Boogie Ban, which is about post-traumatic stress disorder. Certainly we have plays about depression. And we're going to be doing a, um, a play about uh, narcotic dependence in September. So there's a wide... Oh wide range of uh, things that we do. Are these all original plays? or, or, or No, not? they're not. For example, this Saturday, we actually are performing mm-hmm. at the Regional Arts Commission, and we're doing something called My River, My Valley, which is based on a play by local playwright Ron Osborne. And what's really fascinating is that we're combining theater and art for people to come and see both our performance and then um, art by D- David Koblitz from Koblitz Complex and talk about how theater and art can help people who have mental illness and their families deal with their own emotions. Diane, are you pre- performing in this play? No, I won't be pre- performing that play. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I have uh, performed in, uh, the feedback has been, it's been overwhelming and gratifying because, I mean, There have been people who actually come up afterwards and want to hug me, Mm -hmm. and I love hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) And and they thank me for being honest, you know, and just telling my story because they can relate to it. Rather, it's someone in their family or something that they're experiencing themselves. So, yeah. Diane will be performing with us in June, though. So how how many performances or different productions do you have over a course of time? Well, I'll tell you, this was our most ambitious year. We basically have a play every month. For, and, and that was just something that I, we were, were going to go for broke yeah. <laughs> this year. Well, so, give me some sense of the plot line for uh, this one, My River, My Valley, so we can get a sense of the kind of thing that you're doing. Well, this, is from, a, from an emotional and mental health standpoint, has to do with two elderly ladies who are about to lose everything, their home, the land that they, they grew up on and everything due to the fact that a dam is going to be and flooded. And the storyline is how the two different women approach it. And in terms of emotional and mental stability and health, one of the sisters, Viola, feels like in losing that, she loses all of everything, her identity and everything else, to the point where at the end mm-hmm. of the I shouldn't give away the ending, but at the end of the mm-hmm. play, the only solution for her is to take her life. This Is the message very obvious or is it subtle in these productions? Well, I think it's very obvious. Yeah. Um, I think we've chosen playwrights who are very fine playwrights. I know Ron Osborne personally, and um, they're wonderful dramatic plays. So it's not like you're, it, it, it's being, you're being preached to. Uh, you do enjoy the play, but the undercurrent of what is going on does definitely come out. Collins, from a psychiatric point of view, uh, how much good does it do people to be seeing things like this and talking about things like this? I think it's good for them to see it in a realistic point of view, and that's kind of what we do. We 
do plays that are very realistic in real life as opposed to the movies which makes things very dramatic. They make them um, uh, – they're often very unreal. But we do things that are very real and I think it, it gets to people emotionally and, and that's, that's the important part of it. But talking, I mean, in, mm-hmm. in, in psychoanalysis, as I understand it, talking about things is is pretty good therapy. So, so how do you feel folks are helped with your discussions with them post-performance? Um, well, I think it helps people to identify maybe problems that they have or problems that their relatives have. And it's not... Um, it's realistic. It's it's not like you see it in the movies and people are ashamed of it. So I think we present a realistic point of view of the people who do have emotional problems and who do have issues so that people are able to get help from it. Uh, I, I want to make a point that not all mental illnesses are treated with talk therapy. There are medications that we oh, use sure. and that we you know, have to use. I, I think, though, the, mm-hmm. there is a standard uh, conception, you know, that the, the couch and people talking and work, working and talking their way through through problems. Right, right. And and those and there there are a lot of conceptions out there that I guess we're trying to break the stigma of. There's the conception that people with mental illnesses are the ones who perpetrate crimes, whereas reality they're more likely to be victims. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things in the community that. Uh, really aren't true. And things like this would be addressed in the productions Ooh, that you're right, doing. Right. right, and I think if I could just interrupt mm-hmm. a second, I mean, one of the things that happens after the play is that people feel safe. It's a safe environment in which to bring up something mm-hmm. that either they themselves or a family member, you know, is, is having problems with. Mm-hmm. Um, we cannot give them, even Dr. Lewis can't give them specific, you know, mm-hmm. advice or something like that, but they may. I, I mean, I've been told this many times. I have never talked. I've heard of that. And I've never talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I've never, you know, and that gives them a place where they feel they can be safe and bring it up. Uh, the word stigma was just used by by Collins. Uh, Diane, mm-hmm. let me ask you about uh, about that and the uh, and and the stigma associated as you've experienced it. I'll tell you. Um, prior to slaying dragons, I was very ashamed of my illness. Did not want to talk about it. But once I got on stage and saw how attentive the audience was, and it let me know that the need is there. People need to talk about this and not be ashamed. Mm -hmm. I mean, my self-esteem was so bad, but now I am, like, feeling like I'm so empowered because people need me. I now know my purpose. Mm-hmm. This is my purpose. I'm supposed to do this. What specifically was it that, that drew you to the point where you know your purpose? Was it acting? Was it working with the, this, the theater? You know, it was actually being with Slaying Dragons. When mm-hmm. I got on that stage, although I was very nervous, and I still get very nervous, but when I saw the reaction, particularly afterwards, then I knew, I was like, these people need this. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Mm-hmm. But and it just feels so good to be able to, to help people. And they're so grateful. We had one person who actually donated 
because she um, remembered a part that I had played. It was in the nursing school, I believe mm-hmm. it was. And she couldn't remember my name, but she said the the tall African-American. <laughs> <laughs> well, that narrows it down, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I was the only female, but yeah, yeah. so it's just, hmm. Helene, let me ask you about the stigma issue because, again, I'm sure that this is something that you're, you work with fairly frequently in your, in your productions. It's, it's, it's key. Understanding what we're dealing with here with mental issues is, is key without being uh, critical. Right. Well, of course, being somewhat older than <laughs> like these people here, um, back when I first tried to address my own issues, I mean, it was very difficult. If I had to miss work, I never told anybody it was because I was depressed. I told them I had the flu or something like that um, because I, I was afraid to say anything. I thought, oh, well, they're going to you know fire me because of that or whatever. Um, so anyway, the, the bottom line is that once I was – able to be on my feet and being productive like I am, which took, I have to admit, a good 10 years. It was not overnight. Mm -hmm. I said that I'm here now, like Diane said, to advocate for those who cannot advocate Mm -hmm. for themselves, and mainly because they're afraid because of the stigma that they're going to face if they reveal that they have a mental or emotional illness. Collins, do you think we have a fairly large percentage of the population out there that have emotional issues, mental issues, things that would require some attention? Well, I think, huh. I, I think there is. Um, they've done uh, studies that show how many people or what percentage have depression, what percentages have trouble with uh, substance abuse. So there is a large, uh, a large number of people. I, I can't give you the, sure. you know, the chapter and verse and the exact numbers, but there are. I, th- I think one point I want to bring up is that people who have mental illnesses don't choose to have them. You know, they, uh, and I think people think that, well, uh, so-and-so's depressed, they can just buck up and do this. And, and, and it's not necessarily true. True, It's not true at all. Uh, so that's, that's an important point. People forget, I think, and we've mm-hmm. discussed this from time to time in this program, that substance abuse is, is, a, is a mental issue. Right, there's, no, yes. there's no question yes. about it. And depression is depression, would you say, yeah. probably the n- number one on the list? Well, there's depression, there's schizophrenia, there's um, bipolar illness, which is a person who has both manias, which are highs that are uncontrollable and lows, um, and certainly substance, the different substance abuse. Uh, psychiatrists, we use what's called a DSM-5, which kind of... Um, you know, puts criteria on the mental illnesses. You know, for the, the two ladies here who have both gone through some uh, some emotional uh, issues, Helene, I'll start with you. What, what would you tell people? I mean, obviously you're doing a lot of it through the stage, but what would you one-on-one tell people who, who say, I've got a problem, I can't sort things out or whatever? What would you do? Well, I would basically tell them somewhat of what uh, Dr. Lewis is saying is that it, you do need to talk about it with someone, mm-hmm. and even even if you just initially talk about it with a friend or somebody, not that this is the person that's going to necessarily help you uh, treatment-wise or anything else, but getting it out. Because the more it stays inside you, the more it haunts you and the more it takes over who you are. So the release of it to anyone is what I would say first. Then I would say you then need to talk to somebody in the professional world because, as he said, there are many ways to help, and you don't have to live in this hopeless environment that, that, you're, that you're telling me about. 
because that's how people feel. I, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm going to have to suffer the rest of my life, and that is not true. And, you know, Don, in the, uh, unfortunately in the black community, um, there's always been um, a stigma attached. You know, you don't go to a psychiatrist. You know, no, white people do that. You can't even afford a psychiatrist. You know, it was just, you know, it was taboo. You just didn't do it. It's like um, just get over it. People think that depression is uh, because of a situation. It's not a situation. They think that, you know, something bad happened to you and you need to, you know, go pray on it. That's what they'll tell you. My mother even told me, pray on it. No, you know. A lot of people, I believe, think that uh, if you have issues, you're not strong. You're weak. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And I'll tell you, I'll tell people to first talk about it. And then when you see a doctor, the key to me is the therapy and the medication. Mm -hmm. You can't go wrong with those two. Mm -hmm. Because I've been so healthy since then. I mean... You know, I can't imagine being at the point where you apparently were, that you were contemplating suicide at one point. No, more than one time. Well, it was, it's been, yeah. Was there something specific that, you know, that pulled it, you it, out of that? It wasn't. Um, it's just yeah, there's a pain that is with depression. It's, it's hard to describe. You just, you want the pain to stop. Mm. And so mm. you think, okay, if I die, then... You know, I won't hurt anymore. And I still have fleeting, fleeting thoughts. I'm not going to act on them because I know now that um, it would hurt so many people. And, you know, it's a selfish, it really is a selfish act. So, but it's it's a pain that you can't, you can't describe. So if, if it's a situation and also your... Uh, your endorphins, the lack of endorphins. It, it's Diane has said it perfectly because mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. It is a pain. It hurts. Depression hurts. It physically hurts. But you can't describe it to anybody else unless you've gone through it. And one of my concerns, greatest concerns right now, is, and you've brought up some of it too, are young people. I, I just retired from teaching high school. Mm-hmm. And I am appalled at the number of young people who are cutting on themselves, are are committing suicide because they hurt so bad and they don't know any way out except that. And, of course, there's other way out. But they give up hope. And when you ask about who do you talk to, that's the problem. They don't know who to go to and talk to about it. Collins, you've heard all this before. Yes, yes. I'm I'm gathering this is what these ladies are saying is fairly standard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we see that with with patients who come in who are suicidal, and it's very interesting. Suicide um, behavior is often impulsive, and um, a person may think about it and then do something and then not be successful and then go get help mm-hmm. because the feeling kind of goes goes away. There's some interesting stories about uh, people who have jumped off uh, papers of people who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in California. One fellow said he changed his mind on the way down. Yeah. So he obviously it, it, survived. He, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. He, he, he survived. But it's, it's very impulsive. So if people get these thoughts, then they should know 
to to seek help for sure. We only have a minute left, and Helene, let me ask you: Are you finding that young people are attending your productions? Yes, we actually started a young people's theater branch of Slaying Dragons last year, huh. and uh, we have plays specifically for them, and they are part of the production. So that we're not just doing it for them; they're in the productions. Hmm. So um, we're excited about that, and and for the we. If I can take one more second and just say, please go to our website because we've got some exciting things coming up. We have this weekend, we have the, the My River, My Valley. We have Boogie Band in July, and we have a trivia night in August. So. We'll, we'll be putting all this information on our website at oh, sdlpublicradio.org. Okay, thank so you folks so much. can get at it that way. Diane, I'm sorry that this is but an emotional situation. Oh no, for you, this is this is good stuff. This is help, good stuff. It's neat. I think it's helpful. Yeah. I think yeah. it's helpful. I want to thank you all so much for being with us, uh, Helene Mayer. Thank you for being with us, and uh, Collins Lewis. Thank you also, okay. and Diane Morris. Right. Thank you. Thank you. For Best of luck us. to all of you. Keep up the good work. It all sounds right. like you're doing something really valuable. Thank, thank you, you so much. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash STL on air. St. Louis on the air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.